Try that. There we go. Wonderful. Well, it is great to see everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. It's a you know, wonderful time to eat good food, turkey, or whatever it is you decide to eat this Thanksgiving weekend and enjoy it with friends and family. And as we're, we're in this series, um, Generous Like My Father, and uh, we started it last week. And uh, just to remind us of something that, you know, been doing throughout the last couple of months is just to remind us, you know, as Christians, we are not normal. We do not fit in. We're not the same as everybody else and we're not average. And, you know, just in the context of that for us this morning, we talked about the love of God for us, right? He loves you so much. And everything we talk about today is really just rooted and grounded in God's love for us. You know, it's this, it's this incredible thing that for us that know God's love, that have a relationship with Him, as we've talked about, we're about 3% of the population of Canada. Only 3%. So you know, 3% of us actually get the love of God. Get that, how much He cares for us and really understand what that means and how it is that we're to live out. And I hope after we've done this series, we really just have a, a greater revelation, greater understanding of just how generous God is. So that we're able to reflect that in everything that we are and everything that we do. So I'm going to start today. The principle that we're, we're speaking on from our, our core values is that the thread of God's generosity weaves through his creation, his covenants, Israel's economics, the gospel, and the kingdom as he consistently models that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it's just, it's absolutely incredible when you actually start looking for God's generosity in the Bible, just how generous God is. And um, just even, we're going to start with the law. You know, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 to 14, I'm not going to put it up there. I'm just going to highlight a few things, just such a, so much that's in it. And, and in that scripture, God says to his people, he says, look, if you obey my commands, I'm going to set you high above the nations. You'll be blessed in the city and in the country. You'll be blessed with your children. In other words, you'll be fruitful. You'll have children. Your produce of the land is going to multiply. Your livestock is going to multiply. Even your food is going to be blessed. Uh, you know, it says when you come in and when you go out, you'll be blessed. Everything you put your hand to will be blessed. All the peoples of the earth will see God is with you and be afraid of you. And you shall lend to many nations and not borrow. Your enemies, if they rise up against you, you'll conquer them immediately. Just this incredible thing where God's like, hey, for my people, for those that call me by my name, those that will obey me, here in the law, he says, I will bless everything of you if you'll obey me. And it's an incredible thing because we know that the law is our tutor, right? So pre-law, when we're talking about the law, it's, it's pointing us to the kingdom reality that we live in now in Jesus. So it tutors us in the way that we should go. For those that weren't, we're not under the law at this moment in time, that the, the law was there for the Israelites up until the time of Jesus, and, but it, it was a tutor for people pointing them to Jesus. So when we read this in Scripture, we see a glimpse of the generosity that God has towards us as his people. And you see it from beginning. I mean, look in the Garden of Eden. You see his generosity. You see throughout the early times up to the point of the, of the law, God's generosity just poured out, poured out, poured out. But here it's covenantal. It's a covenant of generosity. Covenant of generosity with his people under the law. You know, we also, we're going to look also in Jeremiah, right? Because 
They, as we know from reading the Bible, the Israel people didn't obey the law. They not only rebelled against God continuously, constantly, even though they're like, yeah, we're going to obey the law. They constantly were in rebellion, constantly were, were going against what God had said, and to the point where they ended up in exile in Babylon. And in this time of exile, where God's like, okay, look, I'm withdrawing myself. I'm sending you into exile to, again so you can understand the consequences of, of what it is to not be following me. But he sends this promise to them through Jeremiah. And it's, it's often quoted, but often outside of the context of it. And it's in Jeremiah. We're going to read from t- uh, Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. And, and through the prophet Jeremiah, he's speaking to those that have been led into Babylon, into exile. And he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So in other words, he's saying, look, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land, the land that I promised you, the land that I said everything would overflow in, the land where all these covenantal promises that we read about in Deuteronomy are about. And he says... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So here's God. He's like, look, even in your rebellion, even in your rejection of me, even in your disobedience, you are going to go through this punishment. You're going to go through this time of, of, of exile. But I have plans still for you as a people. I have plans for you as a nation. If you will come back to me, if you'll seek me with all your heart, then those plans are going to get fulfilled. I mean, ultimately, those plans end up fulfilled in Jesus. But we do see what happens here come about, where they're led back out of Babylon. They're led back into the promised land. And again, the generosity of God, that he puts it on the heart of, of the king of Babylon to, to just bless the Israelites with everything that they need to go and rebuild, to go and rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild their city, to rebuild their temple, even after God had sent them into exile. It's just incredible, his generosity. Then we see in John 3.16 where just the reality that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to us. Right? That's the ultimate act of generosity. That God would himself take the punishment for sin for us. And then in Ephesians 1 verses 3 and then 7 to 8, it talks about the fact that we're blessed because of Jesus. Not only is God generosity here on the earth, but we are blessed, you know, with spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's just the generosity is incredible. You know, the gifts that he gives us, not only material, but spiritual gifts, the generosity in the heavenly realms, the generosity here on the earth, the fact that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, that he provides us everything we need to prosper. He tells us, again, under the law, he tells us, look, it is, it is I that give you the ability to produce wealth. It's me. It's God. And you know, just listening to what we were worshiping this morning, you know, in exalting Jesus and just Ashish's word of like, who will we exalt? 
And we're going to go, as we keep reading, it's so important that our exaltation in terms of the generosity of God stays with him. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everything good we have, it comes from him. You know, as his people, our priorities are different. You know, we recognize a God of generosity and we're called to respond to him with generosity. We need to reflect our father in everything that it is that we do. And so when we can see this picture of how generous God is with us, then it becomes a, just a different story about us responding with generosity ourselves. But let's look in the book of James. James 1 verse 5. Here we see God's generosity in that he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Again, even wisdom. We can ask God for wisdom. He's going to be generous with us, be generous with gifts, gifts of the Spirit, you know, gifts of wisdom. It's, it's amazing. Then, then James goes on and he says right after that in verse 6, he says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. It's really important that we remember that our covenant with God is by faith. It started with Abraham, right? Who, who believed God and it, his faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. From, from throughout scripture, our relationship with God is one based on faith, which is trust. It's us believing God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. That is, that's the currency and the basis of our relationship. It was the lack of faith that resulted in the law coming. You know, the, the people didn't want to relate to God in faith. And so he's like, okay, I'll give you the law instead so you can relate to me somehow. If you'd prefer rules, I'll give you the rules. But then he brings it full circle with Jesus and brings it back to this covenant of faith where we are, our salvation is based in faith and our putting our trust in Jesus and us following him as Lord. And it says, if we believe in him, we'll obey everything that he taught, everything that he commanded. Right? So it's, this, it's not that it's, well, it's just by faith. If we have faith in God, if we have faith in who Jesus is, then we want to obey him. We want to follow by his ways. We want to do things his way. And so when we ask for anything from our God who's generous, who wants to give good and perfect gifts to his children, we need to do it from this place of faith. You know, to access the generosity of God, it's a thing of trust. It's a believing who he is, that he will do what he says he will do and not being double-minded about it. And double-minded, it's really easy to be double-minded. It's really easy for us to actually doubt. You know, go, well, I'm not really sure if he's going to do it. Uh, and we're double-minded. You know, we need to ask with confidence. Confidence that our God is good, that he, the confidence in who he is, confidence in, in his generosity. For all these scriptures that I'm going through really quickly, if you go on our website in the uh, uh, about us or learn more, wherever you get to our core values, you'll find all these scriptures in that section. So you can go and look them up from yourself. So then in James 1 verses 9 to 11, he says this interesting thing. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. 
But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. Now, when you hear that, how many, you know, just by show of hands, how many would go, well, can I hear that? It says that it's bad to be rich. Put up your hand if, you, if that's what you hear. So we have, we have some people that are putting up their hands. And that is typically how we would read that scripture. But it's actually, you know, so when you look at the generosity of God and the promises of God and what he says that he was going to do, it would seem inconsistent for them then to be saying, it's really bad if you prosper. Right? It, it would be inconsistent. So there's, there's more going on here that's important that we dig into. And it's really important to understand the context of where James is writing into. Because he's writing at the time when, again, the, the Jewish people are under occupation. They're under Roman op- occupation. The majority of people, Jewish or Christian, are, are, are poor. You know, they've, they've lost their land. They, they're living in this promised land that is now occupied. They don't have land of their own. They're having to work on feudal estates, either for rich Jewish aristocrats or for, um, or it could be Christian aristocrats or most likely Roman ones. And, and this is throughout the Roman Empire, right? So the, the majority of people are poor. And so that's one thing that's important in the context. And also, if we keep reading in James, he, he talks about rich oppressors. He that in James 5, saying, look, the rich are actually oppressing the poor. And by doing so, you're, you're, you know, in doing that, you're actually inviting you know, God's judgment on you. But there's something even more profound that James is saying here. And, and that is, is that the rich should not trust in their wealth. That's really the point. You know, two years after this book is written, Rome, the Christians in Rome are, and Christians in Rome are blamed by Nero for a fire that Nero likely set in the city, and so they're they're persecuted, and they're killed terribly, right? And then uh, they, as well, the Romans destroy Jerusalem, and literally the temples destroyed. The the the, the Jews living in their promised land until after the Second World War is gone. There, it's, it's decimated. And so those that had been rich, that had trusted in, and it's this thing, it's really important for us in our society, it's where we, we can't put our trust in our wealth. What James is saying is, hey, like, look, you know, again, the context of this, of this whole section is persevering in trial. You know, persevering when you go through difficult things. And what James is saying here is that, look, do not put your trust in wealth. Put it in God. Don't put it, you know, if you're poor, wonderful. It'll be, it's easy for you to follow. It's easier to follow. You don't have anything to get in the way anyway. Remember Jesus said, look, it's harder for the rich to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Right? And the reason for that isn't because God hates rich, the rich. It's because they're putting their trust in wealth. It's the same problem if you understand the Old Testament you see. Right? Every time Israel prospered, they started thinking it was them and they would turn away from God because they didn't have need. And then they would get, then they would get conquered. They would go through difficulties, through famine. And then they would turn back to God, recognizing that actually is where their, their prosperity was coming from in the first place. And it's so, when we, we have this incredibly generous God that we, if we don't recognize it's him that's bringing our generosity, we start thinking it's us. 
and we stop giving, you know, realizing that it's actually dependent on him. And we can easily put our trust in our wealth. And if you've ever lost your job, you understand how fleeting that is. Right? You can, you can have like wonderful, you can have a wonderful situation, and then suddenly something happens, often beyond your own control, and it's gone. Right? It's just gone. And if our trust is in our material things, if our trust is in our wealth, if our trust is in our prosperity, then our, our, we're going to have a problem. Because, you know, just like the flower that dies, as James Wright, when the sun comes up and scorches it, so our wealth will fade away. We're not taking any of it with us. It actually has no eternal significance. It's, it, but God does say he wants us to prosper. Just not to trust in that prosperity, to trust in him. That we would exalt him above our wealth. We'd exalt him above our material things. Exalt him above our prosperity. And recognize that it all is from him. It's all from him. He's the generous giver of good gifts. He's the one. And this is so important when we understand how to, to you know, walk in and live in God's generosity. Now, if you remember last week, I was preaching some pretty strong things that were not my words, Jesus's words. We were reading out of Luke, in Luke 14, where we started in Luke 14, I think verse 24 or 25, where Jesus is literally saying, he's got this crowd of people following them, and he says to them that provocative, bold statement. is like, look, if you're not willing to give up everything, literally give up your family, your mother. It says, if you're not willing to hate your mother, brother, father, brother, sisters, even your children to follow me, then, then you can't be my disciples. And then it says, like, if you're not willing to you know, pick up your cross and give up everything to follow me, you can't be my disciples. And it's this, it sounds like, wow, that's pretty intense. But again, take this from the context of God's love for us. And he's saying, look, if there's anything else that's going to get in the way between you and God, between you and following me, if your traditions, if your, if your, if your family and all that is going to get in the way of you following me, then you don't actually get who I am. You don't actually understand. And it's best you go and experience the world until you get to the place that you're desperate enough that you'll come and follow me. You know? And it's strong, what he's saying, but it's, it's this thing that's so key for us. And he goes and tells us the different parables, and we talked about those different parables, and where I want to finish off or talk again is Luke 16. We're going to look at verse 8 to 15 again. Because we, remember, it's this confusing parable, right, where just before this, Jesus is talking, he's, 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 he's told the people, look, you can't follow me. You know who the ones that are like pushing in to follow him are the sinners and the tax collectors, the sinners, the tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are like angry that they're the ones pushing into Jesus and he's giving them attention. And he's like, they're unworthy because the Pharisees think they're the worthy one. And he's like, Jesus tells the different parables that I talked about last week about the lost coin, the lost sheep, which is again, just talking about the value of the kingdom and the value of those that would seem lost and to come into the kingdom. And then we talked about the, the um, uh, uh, prodigal son that he then tells a story of that directly comparing the Pharisees to the older brother. And then he tells this parable where it's like this, this shrewd, this, what we call the shrewd manager, where he's about to lose his job and so he goes and takes the, 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 what he's been entrusted with by his, by his uh, master 
And he goes and calls in debtors and says, look, if you owe this much, I'll cut it in half. So that he can gain favor with these people. And, and it says, and it's confusing, right? Because it almost seems like Jesus is saying, be dishonest. Which isn't what he's saying at all. You know, we see in Luke 16, verse 8 to 15, it says, The master commend, commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, you know, this is the point that Jesus is making. He's like, look, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into not your friend's house, but eternal dwellings. It's this thing of Jesus saying, look, use what you have here in this world to reflect the generosity of your Father in heaven. You know, by you using your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, in other words, being generous with other people, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Not worldly ones, eternal ones. And then he says, it's this important thing, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who can trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Before I go on to what he says next, again, this is really a key to spiritual breakthrough. Eternal dwellings, true riches. True riches is the things of the kingdom. Right? He's not talking about if you trust, you know, we're gonna, you're going to be poured out financial. He's like, if you can't be trusted with the, the, just the, the, the worldly things of this world, the worldly wealth, how can God entrust you with the incredible riches of the eternal realm of the spirit of the kingdom? And there's so many things that you know, many of us want breakthrough with in our life. Jesus says, start by how you handle money. If you want spiritual breakthrough, learn to handle the material things that, are being, that are, you're being given. If you can't manage those, how can God entrust you with stuff that has actual real value? It's profound. It's profound. And if we take that outside of God's love and outside of how generous he is, it would, could be uh, seen in a really negative light. But God's like, hey, I'm, I'm the one that will give you everything you need. You can either trust in the economic systems of this world. You can either trust in your own ability to produce wealth. You can trust in your job. You can trust in your employer. You can trust in things. Or you trust in me. And I will work through your job. I will work through your employer. I'll work through these things to give you, to provide for you, to give you the ability to produce wealth. But manage that well. Manage that. And this is where, when we understand the generosity of God, we've also got to understand the kingdom principles that come around money. And so, that's where I'm going to lead us into. I'm going to go over. I, I knew I'd need about 40 minutes. I'm going to go 10 minutes over. I don't know if we need to warn kids' ministry, but I'll let you make the call on that. Okay? After this, in Luke, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
And then after that, in verse 14, the Pharisees react. It says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. How we handle money determines how we value it. Our, you know, if we believe that God is generous, then we're going to be generous. If we aren't, if, we, if we're not generous, then we don't actually believe that he is. It's the same principle that Jesus talks about forgiveness. You know, if you understand, if you truly believe you've been forgiven, then you can't hold unforgiveness towards others because it's inconsistent. If you actually know you've been forgiven, then it would be totally inconsistent of you. Like, it just wouldn't make any sense to you to be unforgiving towards others because you know what you've been forgiven. If you truly understand the generosity of God, then it would be inconsistent to not be generous. It would be inconsistent to not follow his principles in terms of money. And it comes down to this fundamental thing when we're in this world of like, do we actually grasp who God is? Do we grasp who he is? If we do, then we'll act like him. And the more we act like him, the more he can entrust us with other things. The more he, give, the more he can put in our hands, the more he can, he can give us the gifts of the true riches of the kingdom for us to influence and impact this world. So in talking about, and I'm just, I'm just going to be giving this a, a real brief overview because we see this thing of God's generosity towards us through Scripture, and then we see his expectation of our generosity in Scripture. And it, it starts right in the beginning with Genesis where we see Cain and Abel. And if you know that story, they both bring these offerings to God and, and one of them does it God's way. One brother doesn't do it God's way. God blesses the brother that does it his way. For the brother that doesn't do it God's way, he says he rejects the offering and Cain gets so mad that he murders his brother. You know, we, we see that generosity there. We see it in reflected in, uh, with Abraham and Melchizedek where we see him giving a 10% to Melchizedek after they've you know, gone back, they've, they've gone and conquered people that stole from them. And then the priest, Melchizedek, appears to them and they immediately give 10% of everything that they had just reclaimed to Melchizedek. We see it throughout, leading up to the law, we see over and over this concept of a tenth that is, that is throughout Scripture. And then under the law... Man, we see this thing multiply. We see that under the law that the Israelites are commanded to give a tenth to the priest. They're also commanded to give it a tenth every year for the celebration of the feasts. Plus, every three years, they're supposed to give another tenth um, to be stored up for the poor in their land. So it works out to 23.3%. But then on top of that, every time, because they're under the law, every time they sin, they've got to give an offering. Right? So not only, this is, the, this is the, the tenth that they're just giving to the priests, the tenth they're giving to celebrate God, the t- and, and the tenth every three years to take care of the poor. But then when they sin, there's all these other things they've got to give to put themselves right before God. It just keeps going. Plus, they also are, are asked to give offerings under the law. Offerings for the building of the temple. Offerings for the building of other things. Offerings for the furnishing of things. So there's this... There's this recognition that everything they have belongs to God. 
And he directs them. Look, these are, these are the ways that you're supposed to give. And then it's not just this tent that they're supposed to give every three years to the poor. They're told, look, if anyone in your town, if one of your brothers or sisters, not just meaning their own physical brother and sister, but if another fellow Israelites in, in your own town or in another town falls into poverty, then you help them. You share your food with them. You lend to them without, without charging them interest. You give them food, you know, not expecting a profit from that. You take care of them and help them out of their poverty. So it's this, it's this transaction where God is saying, I will give you everything you need. You follow my laws. You do things my way. I'm going to bless you so abundantly. It's beyond your imagination. And in return, be these generous people. Make sure that I am worshipped well. Make sure that the Levites who I've set aside are taken care of. Make sure you've got this 10% put aside to celebrate all the feasts and all the festivals so that worship to me is glorious, that you have everything you need to worship me and to celebrate me. Make sure that the poor are taken care of, both by you physically taking care of the people around you and also you storing up so that there's never a situation where there's not enough for the poor or also the alien, like so someone in your land, not in the alien that came in the UFO, alien as in someone from another country, right? Someone that comes, it's not an Israelite that's there, is in poverty, and, and you need to take care of them. So it's this, this, this whole package that goes far beyond. It's this, it's this grasp, like we talked about last week, we're saying, look, everything we have belongs to God. We've got to start from an understanding where Jesus has said, look, you've got to give up everything to follow me. So part of us being different than the world is that we give up everything to follow Jesus. That means everything of ours comes under his lordship and control, even our money, our finances. It's not our own. We're not giving back to God what's ours. We're participating in his kingdom economy. We're doing things his way. We're doing things his way. And people will get to the New Testament and go, well, look, we're not under the law anymore, so we don't need to, we don't need to give. And, and it's just such a misunderstanding because the law was our tutor. The law was teaching us the way we are meant to live. And all you got to do is look at the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit first comes and the first Christians are there and there wasn't a need amongst them. People were selling property. They weren't, they weren't coming with like, oh, okay, I've just got to come and give a tithe. They were giving everything so that they could live in community the same way that they did in the Old Testament. Right? The poor among them were taken care of. There was more than enough money to facilitate ministry, to facilitate what was going on. They, they had everything they needed because they recognized that nothing they had belonged to them. And so they were willing, even in their poverty, because most of them were poor, to, you know, the ones that had some land still sold it. You know, occasionally, it didn't say everyone sold all their land, so it's not like saying no one can own property or things along those lines. It was saying the people were doing this to make sure people's needs were taken care of. Because they believed in the promises of God. They, they understood. They knew the Old Testament. These were all Jewish people. That when we read in Acts and, and that were all gathered there, they understood the Old Testament. They understood the promises of God. They understood what it meant. They, they understood the prosperity that they were meant to live in as God's people. They understood that in doing things God's way, they would be blessed. 
Now, the blessing might not be that they, you know, we didn't see them immediately become rich. We did see them taken care of, scattered in different places, which may seem a weird taken care of, but they were. They were sent out all over the place to bring the gospel. And when we get this, when we're not living under the persecution those people were living under, we're not living under the persecution that most people around the world are living under. We're actually living in a place of, of generally a place of prosperity. We're living in a land of prosperity. And so for us, as God's people, you know, this concept of a tenth is so important that we, as we see the generosity of God weave through Scripture, we need to see the concept of tenth weave through Scripture that goes far beyond the law. It's well before the law. If we wanted to do it by the law, we'd be doing 23.3% plus, plus, plus. It's not just about the tenth. Tenth should be our starting point. You know, this concept of 10% that is taught in most churches, the concept of a tithe, because it's there in Scripture, which says, look, you know, the way generally I've teach, say, hey, take 10% to support your local church. Or taught, take another 10% to support missions and, and, and the poor and things along those lines. But, you know, don't be limited there. Expect the generosity of God in your life that you can be generous with everything, that everything you have would belong to God. But if we won't do the minimum, if we won't do the basic one of 10%, then basically what we're going is, God, I don't actually believe you're generous. I don't, I don't, I don't trust you, you know? I don't trust you're generous. It's pretty much the same as going, I'm not going to forgive people because I don't really believe I'm forgiven. It's us choosing to not participate in God's economy and, and bring it all on ourselves. To bring it on ourselves and our own abilities. It's keeping God out of our money. And you can't go through Scripture. You can't go through Scripture and not understand that, see this principle if you know it. We should be taking care of the poor as well, doing an amazing job of that. We should be, you know, we see in the gifts, the poor in the community taken care of, we see gifts being sent to the poor elsewhere. It's just amazing. For us as a family, we teach our kids, look, you know, we're teaching our kids to tithe, we're teaching our kids to save, we're teaching our kids to give beyond that. And it's, it's got to be a minimum it's got to be the base amount that we start at as Christians. Not because James said so. And we've got an amazingly generous community. It's wonderful to be speaking of this from a place when we're like, hey, we're seeing generosity within the community. But like we've shown on some of the stats before, and I don't know where they're at right now. I know they're going to do an update in a week or two for us. You know, it was, it was a small percentage carrying a large percentage of people. But what incredible what will be possible for us as a community when we have the majority carrying the minority. When the majority of people choose to participate in God's generous economy. Not go, when I get here. Because that's never the promise, right? The promise isn't that when you reach this point, then you should be generous. The, pr the promise is, start with the little. If, if you can do it with a little, the little you've got, even when the little seems like not enough, then trust me to provide more. Trust me to do what it is that I say that I will do. You know, that's what the promise is. 
And that's, if we won't do that, how, why would we expect God to do something different with us? And it's really important we think like this. Because, again, these, these, these principles are throughout the New Testament where Jesus is like, hey, look, treat people the way you want to be treated. Forgive as you want to be forgiven. Give, you know, with the measure you give, the measure you'll receive. They're there. And there, there isn't, we all can come up with a story of the exception where someone just gets, you know, blessed in this, well, they, that person got blessed and they make, make there was an exception to something. But the majority of us living as Christian life is living the disciplines of, of the regular, of just the faithfulness and the perseverance and the trials, Right? Because we are different than 97% of the world, by choosing to participate in God's economy this way, at the beginning, it's hard. It is difficult. It doesn't happen easily. Right? And I'm not going to give you some story like, oh, if you do this, then everything's going to be blessed right next week. No, it might be hard for a while. I don't know. You know, there's a process that we go through of training in, in righteousness. But we have these promises that says, look, persevere through the difficulty. Persevere through the hardships. When, as a church, we found ourselves in difficulty, we recognized we needed to do two things. We needed to, on the one hand, you know, speak about finances and talk about this from a maturity standpoint, which we did you know, in the summer. But we also needed to rein in expenses and, and make sure we were living within our means. So it meant we couldn't do a number of things that we wanted to do. We couldn't, we had to cut things back. We even had to let people go, right? In terms of staffing, which is not easy, right? There's, there's hardship that comes along with it. And if you don't, if you're in a place where you don't give 10%, to make that adjustment, there's hardship that comes with that adjustment. I, I know. I know when we first started doing it, and the hardship that came, it was difficult. But the benefits of actually participating in God's economy, you know, of doing things His way, of trusting Him, not only with our lives and our salvation, but with our finances, trusting Him for for, for His abundant provision. I mean, the promises that He has for His people, we will be, you know, I say we, But for those who are already doing this, you're standing up against the principalities and powers of this world that are self-centered and and where money is the idol of this age and is certainly the idol of this area. You know, you live in one of the third most expensive, the third most expensive city in Canada. And it'd be like, man, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get ahead? Now, how am I going to, many of us have immigrated here. Many people don't even own a home yet. It's like, well, if I, if I do this, how am I going to get ahead? And the answer for that is because we're trusting God for his absolute abundant blessing. And we're walking with one another and we're helping one another get ahead. And we're praying with one another and we're standing with one another. And as a community, we're moving ahead. We're living in the principles of the kingdom of God. And we've got some incredibly generous people here. I hear of people's rent being paid at times or, or different uh, people being taken into other people's homes or, or people, uh, just needs being met. And I don't know who does it or who meets the needs, but we've we got people that live that way already. 
which is amazing to see. But what it's going to look like when we have an entire community living like that is going to be incredible. Be incredible. What we'll be able to achieve together is so much greater than what we'll ever be able to achieve on our own. You know, us trying to do it by ourselves doesn't, doesn't make sense. Us doing it without God, not participating in his ways, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I invite you to make this adjustment, to take seriously God's word, to believe that he is generous. And, and it's, like, it's like what James also says, right? It's like if you believe something, you act on it. It's not just about us memorizing a scripture. Oh, yeah, God's really generous. Isn't it amazing how generous he is? Okay, do you, do you actually believe that? Because if you believe that, then you'll, you'll do this. If we don't believe it, if we don't do it, then we don't actually believe that God's generous. We don't actually believe that he'll take care of us. We don't actually believe that he'll do what he says. When we get through these trials and we get through the difficulties, what's on the other side of that is amazing. It's, it's, it's absolute dependence on God and watching him bring prosperity to our community and to our city and to the nations of the world through what he'll do through this church if we'll obey him and take seriously what it is that he says. I'll finish with this one scripture, which is out of Malachi. Malachi 3, 8 to 12. And there it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, God says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I think the last stat that I read, and I may get this wrong, so I apologize, but the, the last stat I believe that I read was that about 5% of people that profess to be Christians and go to church tithe. 5%. And we wonder why our, the churches have absolutely no influence in our society. Because if we can't be entrusted with this, how can we be entrusted with the things that really matter? The things that really matter. We are a people that are, I always say, we're world changers. You're going to change the world. I believe that. But we can't do it our own way. We cannot do it our own way in our own principles. We've got to do it God's way. Otherwise, we're just going to make it look like us, and that's not what it needs. It needs Jesus, and it needs a people that are following Jesus in everything that they do. Amen? Amen. Amen. The minister, I'll hand it back, uh, she shall hand it back to you. Thanks, James. It was awesome. And uh, I think we should give him another round of applause. <laughs> yes. So we have our amazing ministry team.
And if you have any, uh, you, if you want prayer or any ministry for anything, just reach out.